0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Heroes, Villains, and Redemption. My name is Jonathan Chan, and I'm so glad that you can join us today. Previously, we covered a few comic book characters already, and so if you just joined us recently and this is your first episode that you've joined us with, I encourage you to visit our website and uh, listen to our podcasts or watch the video recordings Uh, that is found on your website or uh, on youtube but let's begin we're now embarking on an american national treasure his name is captain america but before we go into captain america we'll uh, actually take a look at a small video clip taken from captain america winter soldier enjoy what is it for as long as i can remember i just wanted to do what was right i'm not quite sure what that is anymore and i thought i could throw myself back in and follow orders serve it's just not the same well welcome back so we're going to take a look at mr steve rogers who became captain america after his transformation now prior to the transformation steve rogers was This guy, scrawny, short, pale, and also asthmatic. He really wanted to join in on the war, World War II, namely, to fight against a known enemy called the Nazis. However, because of his physical stature and his asthma or asthmatic symptoms, uh, he was unable to join the war. He failed many times of getting himself enlisted. Now, an opportunity arose. Uh, There was a doctor named Abraham Erksine. He had this uh, super soldier serum that he wanted to try and he needed a guinea pig. And so he approached Steve Rogers for this offer. Uh, Be the guinea pig, and if the serum is successful, you can join the war. Of course, Steve Rogers said yes. He really wanted to get involved in the war. Uh, We're not quite sure why, probably because of American propaganda and also, you know what, with all those films of showing the Nazis killing everybody, it does really encourage people to um, be part of the cause. Uh, Sorry to be a little bit facetious, but that's how it was um, promoted in this film. And so Steve Rogers uh, joins this uh, guinea pig experiment and he goes into this lab. Abraham Erkshine injects him with his serum. And lo and behold, he becomes this guy. This six foot four Chris Evans lookalike. Fully stacked, abs to the rim, and he's the living embodiment of a protein powder. Yep. So he becomes Captain America. And Captain America now joins in the war uh, with his uh, cronies right behind him. And uh, one of those uh, uh, episodes in that movie, uh, sorry, one of the scenes in the movie, uh, near the end, I think. Uh, he's in this plane, enemy plane, full of bombs. And he, his, his duty was to uh, um, divert the plane somewhere safe, so that's away from innocent civilians. Now, during his diversion, he, he uh, crash lands in the Arctic Ocean, and uh, he doesn't die. No, he falls asleep, in cryogenic sleep, because of his... Super soldier serum. He was able to stay alive, but he falls asleep in deep sleep for how many years? 70 years. That's right. 70 years and he falls asleep for 70 years and uh, Gets found in the 21st century. They fall him out and he joins an organization called shield to fight evil again now Not knowing uh, what happened throughout those whole seventy years? Steve Rogers finds himself in a completely foreign territory. Uh, the world has changed a lot since, uh, for like during those seventy years, and one of those main changes was the um, the change in the whole climate about war. You see, back then Steve Rogers, uh, obeying the government was quite easy, um, because the enemy is quite clear, it's the Nazis. And uh, when the government says, go fight the Nazis, uh, Steve Rogers, well, it's obvious, it's, uh, it's so simple. Yeah, I will, because they're bad, we're good, and they're doing bad things, we're doing good things, so they need to be defeated. However, if you're a history buff, uh, during those 70 years when he was asleep, much have changed, especially the whole war aspect, the agenda of war. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you're a history buff, you know that right after World War II, the Americans, USA, saw themselves as the savior of the world. Democracy, freedom, liberty, justice, the American way. You see, any country who did not fall in line with the American lifestyle or the American way the Americans thought that it was up to them to actually enforce that upon those countries. Uh, hence, the whole fight against communism uh, in the Vietnam War and even in the Korean War. However, many people, uh, including um, our grandparents, maybe, uh, a lot of the media even, would question the motives of the Americans. Like, why are they getting themselves, into these, getting themselves into these wars or even incite some of these wars? Uh, What's the motive? What's the agenda? And so the agenda, the motives become questionable. The ethics behind it, the morals behind it become questionable. And that's what Steve Rogers missed completely. So when he was thought out and he was re-entered into society, he entered into a place of complexity, into a world that's very complex. Not just the government and its agendas and motives. No. The whole idea of evil and good, um, and then the, the whole clarity between uh, what's right and wrong becomes very, very gray. Why is that? Well, it's not because the world's just gone in a, uh, hell in a wastebasket. No, it's because today in the 21st century, we, uh, he encounters just like what we encounter, we encounter different cultures, different religions, uh, different moral compasses, different ethical compasses different worldviews. So the whole idea of the simplicity of black and white, good and evil, it's not as simple anymore in the 21st century. And Steve Rogers finds himself in that, in this type of world, in our world. And so when he visits Peggy Carter in that video clip, it's understandable why he says it's no longer simple anymore. Things are not so simple anymore. Before it was just to take orders and just do them. Now he's not quite sure of that. And unfortunately, This also puts some questions on his existence, like why does he exist anymore? Uh, He was made and built for war. He was made and built to fight on behalf of the government. And because the government is now questionable, because the motives are questionable, and because people are different and they could be right and you could be wrong, then if he's no longer in that business of fighting wars, why does he exist anymore? What's his purpose in life? So how can the gospel redeem him, redeem Captain America? How can the gospel provide freedom for him to live, to live freely, yet also to help him to define what is truly good and what is truly worthwhile, and also to find a renewed purpose in life? How can the gospel redeem Captain America? You know, also, I don't think it's just Captain America that has this issue. I think we do too. Now, we being Christians. Now, I don't know about you, the listener or the one who, or the viewer who's watching this uh, uh, video, but I myself, I must say, personally, I uh, was um, born and raised in a Christian home. I went to Sunday school throughout my whole entire life. Uh, I went. I took Bibles. I. I I did a lot of Bible studies in my lifetime. I went to small groups. I, heck, I even went to a Bible study fellowship to get more Bible in my head. And then also, I, th- I went to Regent College to take a seminary degree. But I must say, prior to my Regent College studies, though, uh, I thought it was very simple. I thought evil was quite easy to identify. Um, you know, like I thought I was told what's right and what's wrong by my mom and my dad. I was told what is uh, that? This is how you interpret the Bible, and this is what it says. So here you go, take it and or leave it. Uh, this is Christianity in a nutshell. Um, I was told that uh, you know these verses are what they mean is is only this way. It can only mean this way, and so just uh, take it and use it to the best of your ability. If you can't use it, oh well, tough beans. Like move on to the next verse, turn the Bible or even drop the Bible on the ground and hopefully the the page will turn up and that page would be relevant for you. I still remember uh, a story to share with you. Uh, I was in university studies. I believe it was still first year and it was first year math calculus. And uh, it was the final. And uh, I just finished the final, and I was uh, praying to God, right? Saying, God, oh, tell me if I pass this course, right? And, uh, and then so then, um, you know, being a kid who was born and raised in a Christian home, what do I do? Well, I just uh, take the Bible. Can't really uh, remember any verses applicable to grades, of you know, school grades. So what I did, I just threw the Bible up in the air, and then hopefully it landed to a verse that would tell me whether I passed or not. It landed and I said, okay. I closed my eyes and I pointed to the verse and I opened it and what does it say? He wept. What does that mean to my uh, university studies? I have no idea, but then it was quite prophetic because I did weep after when I realized my results. Okay, besides the point, how about us? How can the gospel enable us to confidently live and engage the gospel in such a complex world. Because just like Steve Rogers, uh, we're not, its the world's not simple anymore, is it? Uh, it could get really scary out there. Uh, if you were like, if you're like me, who was born and raised in a Christian home and things were very simple and black and white, and now we grow up and we go into this world and we live and we try to engage in this world because we have to make a living, right? We work. And also we are called by Jesus to actually live as a light of the gospel. How can we do that in such a scary world? In a world full of nuances, fluidity, and spectrums. How can we live Christianly, live like Christ-like, yet remain true to our Christian faith in such a complex world? Because let's face it, the issues of today are completely different from what our parents were encountering when they were around in our age when they were in our age group, right? Think about it. They were worried about, I don't know, uh, I I actually don't know. Actually, I have to ask my dad. I can't remember. But I'm sure those issues back then are now different. And they see today's world as scary as well because the issues are quite complex. Uh, How does a Christian engage with, oh, let's say, abortion? Uh, It's not an easy topic. Because you still have, like, there are some good reasons why a person wants to have an abortion. And there's some good, bad reasons for it too, but we're not quite sure. How about assisted dying? Because if we have loved ones who are in there, who are just bedridden, like in a vegetative state, do we keep them alive or do we allow them to die? Also, another one safe injection sites. Now, I don't know if i don't know where you are but i'm in vancouver uh vancouver bc and we have safe injection sites and do we continue with those by um for the sake of harm prevention or are or are these safe injection sites actually promoting addiction i'm actually on the former but then some people might disagree with me see it's not that easy is it it's very complex or how about the indigenous, our indigenous sisters and brothers out there? They're fighting for their land so that they have rights to worship and do spiritual worship for their ancestors. Now, do Christians support that too? Do Christians uh, be part of, the, of that fight? That's not easy as well. And also gender identity, of course, and sexual orientation in the LGBTQ++ community. It's difficult to engage the gospel with them as well, is it? It's very difficult in that context. How can a Christian show love, live out the gospel, and also engage in the gospel with this such a complex world? It's scary. And then if we don't, though, if we don't engage the, the gospel into this complex world, then we have to question ourselves, like just like Steve Rogers, what is our purpose then? What is our purpose of being a Christian if we don't? Because God, Jesus, called us to be a light to the nations, to the light to all those who have not heard. And so that is our point today. How can we, how can the gospel redeem us and enable us to confidently live and engage the gospel in such a complex world full of nuances, fluidity, and spectrums, yet remain true to our Christian faith? because it's scary, it's really scary out there. So let's go on. So we need to find somebody to hang our hat on and look into, to explore whether somebody has already gone before us and paved the way for us so that we can learn from them, right? I find that the best way to learn, uh, the best way to know how to engage the world sometimes is through mentors, because they walk this world a lot longer than we have. So where in the Bible can we find a mentor to teach us a little bit or even a lot on how to engage in such a complex world yet remain true to our faith? We need to find a mentor that also can relate with us, right? Can relate with someone like me who was born and raised in a Christian home in a simple setting where black is black and white is white. There were no gray areas, you know. How can, like, uh, he has to be able to relate, he or she has to be able to relate with me and I can relate with them, right? Uh, Coming from a world of simplicity and then suddenly grow up and then engage with a very complex world that is scary. That makes you want to hide, right? But we can't because Jesus told us to engage. So is there someone out there in the Bible that has done that already, that has gone before us, that can relate with us? And I believe there is. His name is Paul. So let's go into Paul. What can we learn from Paul right in the get-go? Well, he did give us a quick bio of who he was. And it's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. He goes like this. Paul says he's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, there you go. He's circumcised. So he's, requ- he's very Jew. And uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, And as for zeal, he persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So he's perfect. He's the perfect Jew. In fact, he's the perfect Pharisee who takes the Mosaic law and the prophets to the nth degree. So he is the perfect Jew. Nothing, no blemish, nothing. Hmm, Do I see myself as that too? If I could look back at my life prior to this, um, prior to reaching college, I would say that I saw myself as perfect too, unfortunately. and uh, like I don't mean to be bri- like pride for anything. That's basically I was. I was prideful. I saw myself as the perfect Christian. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I, w- I went to church every Sunday. I didn't miss a single church service. In fact, uh, I still remember when I got sick and I couldn't uh, go to church, I still made the effort to double that time the next, following week uh, when I get better, I'll just like go to Saturday service and Sunday service back to back. I memorized verses. I had so many stickers you won't believe uh, in my uh, Sunday school classes. When I was a kid, I did all my homework uh, for BSF. Yes. Unlike some of you, I did all my homework for BSF and I didn't just use the word Jesus for all the answers. Also, I volunteered a lot. I taught Sunday school. I taught kids. I volunteered for many things. So I could relate with Paul here. I, I, I thought I was a, like a, a Christian of all Christians, uh, a Pharisee of the Christians, I could say. And so I come from that world like Paul. Unfortunately, I also come from the world of Paul in knowing who's out and who's in. Because for Pharisees, for the Jews, they were quite strict uh, when it comes to Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees took the law to the nth degree. In fact, they created more laws so that just to guarantee themselves not, being, not having the potential of breaking the original laws. And this is what I mean. So it's not just like uh, um, the Ten Commandments. They would have the commandments of not eating pork, of, not, uh, of making sure to clean your hands and clean the dishes and before the meals, Uh, to make sure that you celebrate all the rituals and festivals uh, on the right month and the right date. And so these Pharisees, they know the law to the nth degree, and also the other laws to protect those laws to the nth degree. Unfortunately, uh, just like myself, I think, uh, this is why I could relate with Paul back then, is that based on that, it was quite easy to determine who was in the kingdom of God and who was out of the kingdom of god defined by the pharisees for me whoever doesn't uh, memorize a verse or who missed a sunday service or who is lazy and comes in late all the time for church service they're the sinner i'm fine i'm in they're out uh, if they do drugs they're out if they smoke they're out if they drink ha, they're out just like paul paul would say that if you eat bacon you're out if you're poor well you're too poor to study the law too poor to get educated you're out If you're a widow, sorry, Uh, it's unfortunate that you're a woman and therefore you can't get educated and therefore you don't learn how to read, so you can't read the law, so oh, sorry, you don't have a man to vouch for you, you're out. Uh, If you were a task collector, you're definitely out because you just bamboozled a bunch of people and bamboozlements are not allowed, so you're out. Now, if you were blind, frail, mentally ill, physically ill, well, you're out too. Because you can't study the law. You can't practice the law. You can't practice the festivities or the rituals. So you can't do it. Like for instance, for, for a, if you were blind, tough beans, right? You can't even read scripture. You can't recite Isaiah uh, customarily, right? Or traditionally you know, during their festivals. So you're out just because you're blind. Well, they have a reason for that. They have an explanation for that. because It's because you sinned or your father's or, or your mother's sinned. That that's why you're blind. Anyway, for Paul... It was quite clear who was in and who's out. Just like me back then. I knew who was in and who was out. Whoever didn't do what my parents told them to do, they're out. Uh, If they don't do their Bible studies, they're out. If they don't join a fellowship, they're out. If they don't attend uh, Sunday services every single Sunday, they're out. It was quite clear. It was quite clear Uh, for myself and for Paul. Now, unfortunately not that clear it's not that simple when paul encountered jesus along the road to uh, his next destination to persecute the church uh, jesus showed up jesus when jesus showed up he said something to paul and uh, he said a lot more apparently to paul than what was documented because paul realized suddenly realized that his eyes just opened he realized that the gospel Is the fulfillment of Judaism. Here, Judaism, all along the Pharisees thought, and the Jews thought Judaism was the end, and that uh, um, it was the peak. And God just had to come back down and just cap it, right? Uh, Just to culminate everything and uh, just bless them, and they could join in on the kingdom of God. But Jesus made Paul realize that Judaism was more like this, Pointing to Jesus, that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that Paul believed in, that it was not about the laws. It was not about uh, like uh, keeping the rituals. Those things all were just merely preparation and merely pointers to Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up, Paul literally fell off his horse because he was overwhelmed by this truth of the gospel. He was overwhelmed. Jesus' presence. He was overwhelmed by how the magnitude of realizing that all the stuff that he learned has now come together, yet also flipped upside down because everything that he learned about the rules and who's in and who's out becomes much more complex. Why is that? It's because Jesus told Paul, now that you realize that that I am the fulfillment of Judaism, now that you realize I am the fulfillment of the fulfillment of the laws and the prophets, that no longer these prophets, you might wonder what your purpose here in life is now, right? Just like Steve Rogers, where he's no longer uh, fighting a war anymore. He's he's questioning it now, so he doesn't want to be part of what he was created for. Just like myself, where um, now I'm approaching this complex world and I cannot now, I can't fulfill my Christian duties to Uh, my Christian calling to reach out to the gospel because now I just can't seem to engage what I've learned to this world. It's just so scary and so complicated. Paul is there too. Just like what uh, I was, basically I was like Paul right now at that picture. Going, what am I supposed to do? Because I can't just stay home, hide myself in the corner and cuddle in and walk about in it and say, oh, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. No, I have to live. I, am, I have to live. I have to make a living. I have to work. I have to engage. The, and then I also have to fulfill my calling as a Christian because redemption is not just a one-time thing. It's a life thing. It's a redeemed life that I'm called to do. So that's who I am. How can then I fulfill who I am? Is that like, how can I fulfill my purpose? And Paul here realizing that Jesus tells him, no, your new purpose now is to go and reach out to the Gentiles. I'm in the same boat then with Paul, because we both came from this world of simplicity, this world where things are just clear and black and white. And now realizing that uh, it's not that black and white, and that uh, the gospel is available for everyone. And now that we're called to, and both Paul and I are called to engage the world of complexity, to get like in a world that's totally foreign to us, a world that is foreign to uh, that does not really understand what we're talking about. That's scary. And so Paul here goes, what to do, right? And that's why he actually went on a hiatus for a few years, if you recall. But we don't have the opportunity to go on a hiatus. However, when he came back, we, can, we, can, uh, we definitely can learn something uh, from Paul. So just to summarize quickly before we move on, like Paul, I'm sure many of us are like Paul. We came from a world where we were born and raised in a Christian home and things were a lot were clear and simple. Uh, it was A or B. It was black or white. Uh, it was either, it's like, if, it, if the world, if that person that we see is not doing what we expect them to do, uh, that then they're wrong. right? Then they're not Christian and they're wrong and they won't be saved. <clears throat> Yet, like Paul, uh, I'm sure many of us we are now call, we are always called to engage in a world that's completely foreign to us. It's complex, full nuances. Yet we also know, in the same time, we have to reach out, reach the we have to engage the gospel with the world. We have to live in the world, not live for the world, but live in the world to engage the gospel. But how do we do that, especially when we come from a world of simplicity, like? Right? I don't know about you, but there are many times when I try to find verses in the Bible, it doesn't work. I can't find a verse that addresses uh, safe injection sites. I can't find a verse that addresses marijuana usage. I can't address a verse actually I still can't address a verse on assisted dying or anything like that because it's just not that simple anymore. And so how can we engage the gospel with a complex world, yet remain true to our Christian faith? How can Paul engage the gospel, yet remain true to his Christian faith now, his uh, roots, his uh, true roots in Jesus? Let's move on. We come to realize that though, that Paul, it's very important for Paul to engage the gospel with everyone. Um, He was called and he was convicted that this is his new identity, that this is his new purpose. And I, I think you and I both agree that we have that same purpose as well. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. I'll read it and you can follow. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, the Gentiles, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I became all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share. In its blessing. You see, I'm sure you all agree, like fellow Christians, all agree that this is our calling. We are to proclaim the gospel to everyone. We can't just hide in a corner. We can't hide in our churches and we can't hide in our homes and just huddle together and hope to God that Jesus will come very soon. No, we have to live, right? We have to make a living. We have to go out to work. And by golly, we will encounter opportunities that God will give us to engage the gospel to this world, to this complex world. So that's who we are. We can't deny our existence. We cannot de- deny our purpose. Denying our purpose is by hiding ourselves in a corner. Denying our purpose is like Steve Rogers or just go back to the past and live life there, right? We can't do that. We can't go back to the past and live simple lives. We, we are in it in reality. So we can't do that. We have to fulfill our calling and fulfill our purpose. And that is to share The gospel's blessings to everyone. Yet, how do we do that? How do we do that? Because if this is our calling, and this is Paul's calling, how do we do that? So we ask Paul. So Paul, how do we do that? I believe that this is what Paul will say. It's what enabled to maneuver confidently and engage the gospel confidently in such a complex world. Paul knew that regardless of what he has to become in order to engage the gospel with those he face or with those he encounter, he needs to remember what are the necessities and what is just merely an accessory. Here, let me repeat that. We need to make sure and firmly know what are the necessities of the gospel and separate that from what is just merely an accessory, merely just religion. Here's what I mean. Uh, When you look at Paul's letters, uh, when he introduces his letters to the churches, to the various people he's writing to, he always establishes the necessities of the gospel, the crucial elements of the gospel. And then he takes off and applies the gospel to the current situation that whether the Galatians face, the Corinthians face, the Ephesians face, or the Thessalonians face. Agree? Agree? If you ever you read the, uh, the letters of, the, of, uh, of Paul, he always first starts off with and concludes with the necessities of the gospel, the gospel's necessary elements, the truths, the necessary truths of the gospel. And then he goes and applies the gospel to the current context. So by, because of that, let's go into one of his letters and take a look at what I mean by that. And we're going to go into Galatians. Now, Galatians, the message of the Galatians was predominantly about this whole idea of circumcision, where for some reason there's this bunch of yahoos, uh, like these super preachers, these super teachers, what they call them, and that that taught that kind of muddled up Paul's uh, uh, teaching of the gospel and said and told the Galatians who are Gentiles that they need to be circumcised in order to gain access to the kingdom of God. Now, that's kind of like, if I, was a, if I wasn't a, the person that I am now, and if I was like Paul before the Jesus encounter, I would have probably said the same thing too. Not for circumcision, but let's say, oh, simplicity-wise, if you don't uh, memorize these verses, you're not saved. So you better memorize these verses. Or if you don't serve at church, you're, you're not saved either. That type of thing, you know, putting stuff like accessories onto the gospel, making people feel that they need to fulfill that as well and, uh, and neglecting the necessities of the gospel. So Paul here, the reason why he's writing this letter to the Galatians is to actually refute those super teachers teaching about the requirements of circumcision and give, get them back to the basics, get them back to the necessities of the gospel. So let's begin. In Galatians chapter two, verse seven to eight. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. See? Paul was entrusted to preach and share the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. The Jewish Christians, the Jewish ones, criticized Paul for watering down the message because they heard that many of the non-Jew converts didn't follow Jewish customs such as diet and circumcision. Okay, So it's not just the super teachers, there were also the Jewish Christians thinking that, hey, wait a minute, how come they don't have to get circumcised or not eat pork? In other words, the Jewish Christians mistakenly placed too much emphasis on not only the necessities of the gospel, but also the Jewish customs, traditions, etc. In other words, they thought that being Christian, i.e. saved meant one needs to be also a Jew. Just like me, back before, uh, before my encounter in Regent College, I would have thought that, hey, attending Sunday worship every Sunday is your requirement for being a Christian. They were still operating within that framework, the Jewish Christians, uh, thinking that they need to be Jew. Like, if you're not a Jew, you're not saved, so you have to be one. So Peter, one of the original disciples of Jesus, he was caught thinking that way, even though not too long ago in Acts 15, he acknowledged that circumcision was not important until Paul caught him doing this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. See, Peter, well, there was this uh, issue about circumcision as well. Peter uh, said, no, it's not an issue, not at all. But then Paul, uh, in Galatians 2, says uh, uh, in this passage, caught him doing something. And here's what he did. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to, him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Paul knew, He can't force non-Jews to be circumcised. I can't see myself being circumcised, nor can many of my fellow Christians. And definitely, being Chinese, pork is a staple in our diet, and I love bacon way too much. Does that mean I'm a sinner and beyond saving? No. Paul says being a Jew and following Jewish customs are not a necessity of the gospel message. What is it then? What are the necessities that we need to be deeply rooted in us while other things can be contemporized? What are the necessities that separate it from the accessory? Right? Because Peter, he kind of knew the necessities, but then in this passage right here, he was caught focusing way too much on the accessory of this whole idea of circumcision and diet. Right? In fact, uh, one of my professors uh, one time said that uh, trying uh, explaining this passage, Peter was caught with bacon bits in his mouth, by Paul. Right? So, like uh, Peter knew, but he was he he even put too much emphasis on the accessories. So, what are the necessities of the gospel that we need to be rooted in so that we can maneuver this complex world? Oh, ooh, this is really tiny. My apologies. So let's begin. Chapter 2, verse 16. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. grace. God showed grace toward us when Jesus was crucified for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us, so that we, when we believe and have faith in Jesus, we can be called God's children because Christ lives in us. For by grace we are saved through faith. We were destined to be apart from God, i.e. death. But through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, we now have access to be with God and be his children so the necessity of the gospel is to believe and live by faith in the son of god the necessity of the, of the gospel is god's grace anything beyond this are not paul goes on to say this so in christ jesus you are all children of god through faith for all of you who were baptized into christ have clothed yourself with christ there is neither jew nor gentile neither slave nor free nor there is male nor female sorry nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to our promise in other words as long as we are rooted in the necessities and live by faith in the son of god in other words believe and live just, and live in that mode that Jesus is the son of god and Jesus has died for our sins and we live in gratitude of god's grace We can confidently engage the world and adopt the nuances and navigate through them since we know what is true. But what is good then? What's our moral compass that guides us to ensure us that we are living by faith in the Son of God as we navigate and engage with this complex world? How do we confidently live out this faith? Because, hey, okay, faith, right? Great. We believe. But now, how do we live it out? How do we engage the world with this necessity that we have now encountered? If we deeply root ourselves, our lives in this necessity of God's grace, of Jesus' death and resurrection, of being free from death and believing in, the, in Jesus and in what he has done for us, how can we now, we call it, reflect that in our lives? How can we live and navigate through this complex world then confidently? Let's move on. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Love your neighbor. That's right. Love everyone we encounter. That's how we can confidently know that we live according to our faith in the Son of God, i.e., Christ-like. Nowhere did Paul say that we are to place judgment on those who smoke marijuana, use safe injection sites, have an abortion, or decide to have someone assist in someone else's death. Nowhere did Paul say to judge. Paul says, love everyone just as Jesus loved us. That's so liberating, isn't it? Many times we think we need to know a lot of bible verses and theological concepts so that we can make snappy comebacks and defend Jesus. Like we need to defend Jesus. Like Jesus does not need to be defended. He's God, right? He doesn't need our defense. He's God. In fact, we need him to defend us actually. Like uh, he need like scripture says we need him as our advocate. We need him as our ambassador. We need him to speak on our behalf in front of God, right? Jesus does not need our defense, he's God. Jesus gave us the necessities to follow, to believe and have faith in his death and resurrection, believe in God's grace that was available to us and be content and actually be grateful and uh, show immense gratitude of God's grace that was bestowed upon us through Jesus. And also to reflect that, how to reflect that uh, truth is to love our fellow human beings. No matter how different they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're going to do, or no matter what intent they have, or whatever whatever agenda they have, it doesn't matter. We are to love fellow human beings. That's it. That's how we engage this world today. That's how we engage this complex world today, with their nuances, with their spectrums, with their fluidities, with their like just the various things that maybe just scare us. Well, perfect love casts out fear. And so therefore, when Paul says, how do you, like, Paul basically answers answers our question. We ask Paul, Paul, how did you do it? How did you engage the gospel with people that are completely different from you, with the completely different worldviews, with completely different uh, mindsets, with completely different religions, with completely different cultures, have no clue what, uh, what the Jewish law is, how did you engage them? How did you make the gospel relevant to them? Paul would say, love them. Love them, love them. Love them regardless of what they've done. Love them because Jesus loved us. Perfect love casts out our fears and anxieties of engaging the gospel with the world today. Perfect love, loving our neighbors, casts out fear. Folks, that's liberating, isn't it? And that's, that's, that provides us with a lot of freedom. We don't need to be scared anymore of the fear of losing our salvation when we engage with the world. We don't need to fear for the losing our salvation if we actually have a conversation with someone that's completely different from us. Or a completely different moral, moral compass from us. Or a different ethical compass or whatever. As long as we love them, we know for sure that God is pleased. That's redemption. That's a life of redemption, folks. Let me close with the final passage to provide you with encouragement. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. <clears throat> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, which is all the non necessities. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, let yourself be burdened with these accessories. <laughs> of religion, uh, the accessories, Christ will be of no value to you at all. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love.